You're listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. Now, here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys for Monday the 15th of August. This is episode number 24. My guest today is Molly Luby, the author of ZA and many other unpublished works that haven't yet seen the light of day. She self-published the Immorality of Immortality trilogy between 2011 and 2015. And that series is made up of the books Playing with Reality, Gambling a Fairy Tale and Chancing the Truth. Molly lives in Essex in the United Kingdom and spends almost all of her time hunkered down at the desk under her stairs, which is currently sufficing as her study. Her writing achievements include a stunning 315,000 word total NaNoWriMo word count generated over five years of taking part in that annual event. She's also launched her own company, Molten Publishing, which is a hybrid publisher that's somewhere between indie and self-publishing, and they specialise in YA fiction. I began my interview with Molly by asking her, as somebody who got straight A's at A-level, why did she pass on university? What made her decide to do that? Well, I was, I was looking at all the university courses and things, and at the time I was into um, classical civilization. That was my favourite subject. But then I thought I'd much rather, as a career, be a writer. And then I thought, to be, to be an author, you don't need a degree. So I didn't I didn't want to go and spend three years doing a degree when I could spend three years in and out of internships and publishing and stuff where I'd learn so much more that would be relevant to me. So I decided I wasn't going to do that. And it surprised me how quickly I lost interest in the whole the whole point of going to university. Once I decided I didn't need to go, I, I didn't have any interest after that. That's a pretty courageous decision yeah. because all around you, your friends would have been doing that. Yeah. And there must have been that sense of being left behind and that gulp moment yeah there was there was a bit of that especially when um the head teacher and and things wanted to talk to the there was a few of us that got straight a's and he wanted to know which university you're going to and what you're going to study and then it was i was there like i'm not i even though i've got amazing a level results i'm actually not going to go and they the school didn't know what to do with me (laughs) <laughs> because it, it it's so set up to this is how to get to university we want to get you into a great university and then there was me like I don't actually want to go <laughs> they didn't know what they didn't quite know what to say to me but you see I think you've my, my kids are going through this at the moment and I, I'm discouraging them from university because of the debt and, and trying yeah. to encourage them into a life of of entrepreneurship and of yeah. course you go to university whenever you want in your life can't you yeah, exactly. I thought that as well. If I came to a point in my life where I'd want or need a degree for whatever reason, I'd be quite happy to do it then, knowing that that's what I definitely want and would need to do. But at that time in my life, when I just finished my A-levels, I couldn't think of anything worse. I did not want to keep having exams and coursework and things. I was I was done with all of that. Yeah, well, I, I can't blame you, to be honest with you, because there's a lot of it, isn't there? And it's very intense these days. Yeah. So having made that decision, it wouldn't, wouldn't be a decision made on a whim. You'd, you'd been writing in the run-up to A-level, so you, you've got a bit of a, a run-in yeah. to your career as a writer. What had you done before that time? 
Um, well, I started writing when I was 14, so it was before, just before my GCSEs I started writing. And I thought that because I wrote throughout my GCSEs and A-levels, if I can carry on writing while I'm doing these exams, I can carry on writing while I have a job. So um, I'm fine with that. I, I would spend all my hours writing once I was outside of school and I'd finished my homework. That's all I did. So I um, after A-level, I started looking at internships. So I did a short work experience for two weeks at Random House in their editing department, which was that really opened my eyes to what big publishing was like. And I quickly decided that that was not the industry I wanted to work in. I did not want to be just one person in this giant publishing machine. I wanted to to sort of to mean something to the authors because the department I worked in, even the guy who was sort of leading the team, the author wouldn't know him, only just the really, really big editors. And I decided I'd much prefer something smaller. So I thought that was much better than going to university. It was in two weeks, I already knew that the thing that I thought I wanted to do, in fact, wasn't what I thought it was. Wow, that's quite a revelation. And Random yeah. House, too, that's a really interesting experience. Yeah. So it opened your eyes then to, to what was going on in traditional publishing. Because yeah. I just I just sort of had heard about it from the point of view of the author. And then in their acknowledgements, they're always thanking their editors who they say are amazing and all of this. But then when you're in the publishing house, if it's as big as Random House, these editors that they're saying are amazing are the really big ones who have their own offices and everything, who've worked there for like 30 years. The people... The younger people in the company, they don't get mentioned because the authors don't know don't know who they are, and I thought that was really sad. Wow! So you left you left that experience, and what a great experience that was! And yeah, good to learn good to learn that so fast yeah. as well. <laughs> so where did you move on to from that? If that put you off, um, so then I I went and I did uh, my internship with Mavellas, which is it's a writing community for mostly teenagers. It's about thirteen to eighteen. The people who use it which I'd been on for six months at the time. And I won one of their, well, I was shortlisted for one of their competitions. And then I got talking to uh, one of the CEOs. So I, I um, started an internship with them, which was amazing. I was there for about nine months, I think. I had to stop because I couldn't travel in and out of London anymore. It was, it was quite depressing. <laughs> I'm not, yeah, I wasn't that great at the commuting. But I still, even to this day, that was two or three years ago now I still do work for them when I can and I help them out I'm still on the website now they're they're really an amazing company they just yeah they help young writers just I think mostly with confidence they they run lots of competitions just writing competitions write about forbidden love write about betrayal write about this and that and it's yeah to see these writers come on in such a short space of time really is amazing that that's a wonderful thing to do. Now I'm going to ask you a controversial question here. Did you not get that support at school with your writing? No, I I didn't, and it is it is quite controversial, especially um, because I write young adult fiction. So I want to start doing work with schools, but then I don't want to tell them that I didn't have the best time with it because I went to my I think when I was an A level, I went to my English teacher who was the head of English to talk to her about what I'd written. I'd written quite a few books at that point. And she just sort of brushed me off. And I thought, is that jealousy? What What is that exactly? Like, I, don't, I didn't know. Has she written a book and she didn't? I don't know. But my English teacher wasn't, 
she just sort of shrugged me off whereas my history teacher was much more enthusiastic because I think it was it wasn't as close to home for them because they taught history yeah it was very strange when you started writing at 14 then yeah if you weren't getting that support from school presumably something like novellas is, is pretty well all that's out there at your age for somebody to tell you whether you're doing well or to give you an audience yeah it is I think it it made me realize the sort of writer that I, I wanted to be so there's people on there that they say all the reasons why it's good and then you can improve it by doing this that and the other and it's just the way they go about it is so nice that you just you make friends with these people so fast because all anyone wants to do is help you be a better writer no one there's not really competition between the users even though there are always competitions on the website they're always reading each other's entries and saying oh you're gonna win yours is much better than mine and it's just there's that sort of atmosphere i've never found anywhere else in real life it's it's so helpful especially when you're really self-conscious and you're 14 and you're not sure if if you're any good because you don't have anything to compare it to can you just for the old gippers like me uh, listening to this um uh, can you just explain what what novellas is and and how it works so it's 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 a website so you make a profile and you can post your books on there or short stories or poems or whatever you want and you stick a cover on there and a blurb and you read it on the website chapter by chapter so you can scroll th- through and then there's a comment box at the bottom where you just you can type whatever you're thinking whether you like it what you can improve on and stuff like that and then there's a blog page and there's a competition page and yeah I'm trying to make it sound as simple as I can it's just mostly a place where you post writing and other people can comment on it so a young writers community is that yeah, a fair yeah. way to put it it sound, sounds great, actually. It sounds really good. And it's based in the UK because so many of these things are based in the USA, aren't there, they? There's not a UK office anymore. There was when I worked there. but they, um, they started in Denmark and they've retreated back to Denmark. So now the English community manager lives in Denmark. Oh, right. That's a sign of things to come, I think, isn't it, by the sounds yeah. of it? <laughs> OK, that's a shame. But, it, but they're still very active. I, I had a look at the site uh, when I was researching you and, and what you'd done. And, and found it fabulous. Um, my, my interest is I've written some, well, it's, it's YA, but it's crossover. And for somebody like me, it's very difficult to find a YA community. Yeah. Is, it, is it a good place for older authors writing YA to find a community? Or is it really a, a place for young writers to actually experiment with their writing? I think it's a good place for that as well as just for, for young writers. Because as I'm, as I'm getting older, I'm not a teenager anymore. I'm not it, it's not quite the same as, as how it was for me then with I was getting advice and stuff. Now I've got to a point where I just want to know if my idea is good or not. Not, not. I don't need any tips on how to write characters and plots and stuff like that anymore. But yeah, so I go on there and I tend to, I'll just post a little bit of something or maybe I'll write a, um, there's a thing called mumble, which is basically like a blog and say, I've got this idea for this. What do you all think of it? So once you've got a following, they see every time you post something so that's always quite helpful but with as with any of these websites the hardest thing is building a following at first which can take quite a while the entrepreneurial route that you've taken is not the easiest one are are you still going strong a couple of years in yeah yeah i'm i i'm so determined and i'm i'm so stubborn i don't want i don't i don't want to give up on this if there's i will be doing this forever 
but I can't I can't stop no I'm just one of those people I worked I, I had a full-time job last year and I hated it and I thought I've got to to give my own company a go because what the worst thing that can happen is it doesn't work but I can't sit here in this job which was fine it was really comfortable and everyone was nice there but I thought I've got to know if there's something more I can be doing I can't sit here and wonder what if well, that's interesting because that's the seduction of the day job. This is why many people of my age, for instance, don't write because uh, I, like you, I wrote as a teenager. You get the job, you get the salary, the house, the car and the, all the obligations. Yeah. And then so many people leave it to my kind of age until they, they finally think, do you know what, I wanted to do that when I was younger. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and actually, you're just doing it up front. You're just going straight for it. Yeah. It's fabulous, I think. Yeah, well, my um, my dad has owned his own business for over 10 years now. I'm not sure how long it is. So he was he was really enthusiastic when I said I wanted to start a publishing company. And he's really into books and stuff as well. So he that was something that he'd been thinking about. So it sort of came together at just the right time. And he, yeah, he encouraged me to, to just go for it. And the worst thing that could happen is it doesn't work out and you find another another office job and you just do that that instead but there's no there's no reason why not to try it yeah, so yeah i'm not well, sure i would have had the guts to do it without my dad telling me that i could i could do it i just needed that sort of push well there is a lot of pressure on that conveyor belt at school isn't there to, to do the standard yeah. thing uh so i think it does take a lot of courage to to jump off so so well done to you that's great to, to hear that <laughs> um so okay let, let's explore the writing a little bit more then so you 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 would have started dabbling with writing at 14 yet you've got yeah. a, a trilogy and we've got a, a novel um which has just been published which fa- fabulous talk, talk me through the trilogy first because that's quite a it's quite a move isn't it from shorter items to something as sustained as a trilogy yeah it was um it was a huge part of my life so i i wrote my first book and then i finished that and i thought I'm going to write a trilogy now. It wasn't just that I'd been writing for a while. I hadn't been writing for very long. I'd been, my first book took me four or five months and I finished and I went, right, now I'm going to write three about the same thing. And now thinking back on it, that seems like such an insane thing to do. But at the time I wasn't phased by that because I was just writing for myself. I didn't, I didn't have any concept of how good or not it, it was or wasn't at that time. I was just doing it because I loved it. So that was that was amazing. I'd come home from school, been thinking about it all day and writing stuff in my notebook and just write until I went to sleep. And sometimes I'd wake up early and write some more before I went to school. It it took up my entire life from, yeah, from start to finish. And when you write, are you, um, are you a Microsoft Word person? And what do you, what tools do you use to get the writing done? Yeah, I do it on Microsoft Word. I know that it, it, it causes problems after that when you want to type something and stuff but it's the way that I I started writing when I was 14 I only had word so now I've tried to go on to other things but it's just not as familiar it just so I just write on what I've always written on just because it's familiar and I'm lazy but (laughs) (laughs) and you do back up I hope do you yeah a lot I've got it on my memory stick I've got it on my dropbox and I email stuff to myself I sort of religiously every every hour I hit save and then every day I back it up on my memory stick because I'm so terrified of losing anything <laughs> yeah, it's a disaster wouldn't yeah it really would. and do you have a, a writing quota would you sit there until you've done your 2000 3000 or whatever it is or just just do you write till you drop it sounds like you write till you drop actually <laughs> um it depends 
depends. It depends what's going on in the story at the time. If it's if it's really difficult, if I'm really struggling, I'll do two thousand words a day, and then when I hit two thousand words, I'll stop. Sometimes in the middle of a sentence, if it's that difficult. But then other times, especially when you get to the end, if I'm really into it, I will just write until I can't write anymore. But I've been known to write six, seven thousand words a day in those instances. It's it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and then do you I mean, with the trilogy for instance do, do you plot that out did you know where that was going or is there an element of, of, of free fall and discovery with it um i'm more of a just let let's just see where this goes as opposed to plotting it i find the more i decide before the less interested i am so i much prefer just going for something and then having loads of editing to do afterwards and if not rewriting the whole thing as opposed to the first draft being being much neater than mine in our minor sometimes just train wrecks of oh and you read back and you go oh that I've dropped that character like halfway through the book they weren't important I just because otherwise I get bored I like to surprise myself or I, I like my characters to surprise me with with the decisions they make I usually know how the end is going to go very, very roughly I just don't know how to get there that's usually where I start and what does editing look like to you? Is it something you do by yourself or do you bring in external editors and proofers? Um, I, I've just, for ZA, which I, I rewrote last year from scratch because I'd written it years and years before, I, I asked someone who I met online who specialises in young adult fiction um, and she gave me loads of ideas of where the book could be better and sort of other things to explore that I might not have thought about. And I agreed with everything she said it was amazing when I got um, the response literally everything she said oh you could think about this I got so excited I was like oh yes why haven't I been thinking about that but it's I think it's easier to do that for someone else because I I could quite easily do that for someone else especially now I've been editing for quite a while I just I I think of all these things but to do it for yourself when you're so close to it is so hard I think you have to get an external editor in especially if you if you know you want to rewrite the book, which I did, I knew I was going to rewrite it from scratch anyway, because that was really useful. And this, of course, is one of the joys of self-publishing in that if you're, if you're tra- traditional publishing, the things out there and you've got zillions of copies out there with self-publishing, you can just come back and reinvent the wheel or, yeah. or do a better job, I guess. Yeah. So the, the original version of um, ZA I wrote, ages ago it was about 2011 and then I brought it out on Kindle in 2013 and it was it was received well by the the few people that read it I didn't promote it very much and I thought well these people really like it and I I know I can do it better than this I can put more zombies in more gore more more action which is is essentially what I did I just made it more more horror it was a bit tame the first version (laughs) Well, zombie, a zombie book that's tame. We need lots of eating <laughs> yeah. and munching and things like that. Yeah, it, I know. That's that's what I thought. I think I was a bit scared to, to kill off my characters at that point, but I'm not scared to do that any, anymore. Brilliant. But then that's part of the evolution of writing, isn't it? That if you yeah. you should be looking at the books that you've written and think, actually, I can always improve that. Otherwise, you're not growing, I think. Yeah. I, yeah, I always read back on my old work and think, I like some of these things, but now I like... I would I would change so much. I think that's really important. Even the books that I I wrote last year, it's it. I like to get to that 
point where you look over them and you go, oh, I would do this and that. Or when I eventually come get around to editing it, this is what I'm going to do. I think I'd be scared if I ever went on and wrote something else and then went back and still like it exactly as it is. I think I'd be scared at that point because that would mean my learning would be slowing down. I would not be happy about that. I think it's I think it's really important to to go back and see how much you've improved and it doesn't it doesn't seem to slow down this improving it's still it's still going strong and I think that's amazing that's why famous writers are so good because they've been writing for so long that they've just they've just perfected exactly the way that they come across on paper when you self-published the Immorality of Immortality trilogy, which is very hard to say. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> I was dreading that. I actually managed to get it out. Okay, so there we go. <laughs> um, that's a huge undertaking. When you started writing it, did you intend to self-publish? And what did self-publishing look like with that first trilogy? Um, while I was writing it, I didn't, or while I was writing the first one, I didn't, I didn't really know that's when I was looking into publishing and things. And that's when I started looking into a agents i thought about traditionally publishing it but it's a trilogy about vampires so even even if it was amazing which now i know that it isn't it wouldn't have it wouldn't have been published anyway even if it was incredible based on the fact that that was at a time when twilight was still massive so there was no room in the market for anything that had vampires in it anyway so then i thought i would self-publish it it was mostly just just for my friends and family because they all knew i was writing it and they all wanted to read it and it would i thought it would be really nice if they could actually they could actually have a copy and I was I was so proud when it came out just to hold it in my hands and it was it was real I couldn't quite believe that I'd written it I think that's an important point because just holding your book in your hand and having it on your own shelf is sometimes achievement enough you you must know so many people who said oh I want to write a book and they'll never get it done I think actually just finishing a book is is an achievement enough isn't it yeah sometimes yeah and so when you held that in your hand, you were delighted about that, which is great. Did, was it on Kindle? Did you do the, the Kindle thing? Yeah, yeah, that was, they were, they were all on Kindle and, on, and in paperback. How did you promote then? Uh, or did you not bother with that? Um, I promoted a little bit. It was kind of half and a half um, because I didn't really know what, what I wanted from it at that stage because I was still, because I was self-publishing it, but then I thought I wanted to traditionally publish with my other books that I would eventually finish and so I wasn't sure whether I should promote it or whether I shouldn't I I didn't really know what I was doing but I it's got a Facebook page which I still own but I don't I don't post on there anymore but yes I had a Facebook page and I started I started a Twitter account just after I started writing and I've been working on that ever since and that's I've I've grown that to be pretty massive but at the time it was it was nothing at all and it was it's it's quite depressing to tweet something and get no response but I didn't realize at the time how many years it takes to build up a Twitter following when you say something and people actually respond to you but I'm glad that I started all of all of that then because now I'm in a good position so that if when now when I want to promote stuff people will actually listen to me because I've spent the past five or however many years building that trust between you and the and the audience so I'm glad I started it then when I didn't really need it otherwise it would be much more difficult now is that the same twitter account uh is it at molly luby yeah one? yeah yeah great and you've got nine thousand followers on there yeah. which is a nice little number isn't it yeah i'm really happy with it i'm just growing it bit by bit trying to get a thousand more followers in like every two months or so 
it's quite a challenge but i i like twitter i sort of came at, came to it at a time when it was it wasn't new but it was just sorting itself out Two, yeah, 2010, November 2010. Yeah. How, how have you got to those numbers then? Have you just tweeted regularly? Is that is that the secret? What, what is the yeah, secret I, to Twitter success? I think that there's so many articles and things about what you can do to increase your Twitter followers, but I think half the time it's just being a normal person on there, not just, not just advertising yourself all, all the time, talking about other things that you're doing that might not... Because my, my account is obviously based on the fact that I'm an author and I'm writing all the time. But sometimes I find when I tweet about other things, like a picture of my dog or something that sometimes gets more people interested than, than the writing stuff. Cause they want to know that it's a, it's a real human behind that. It's not just read my book, read my book, buy my book. It's, it's, it's something, it's something more. When you ask a question, people really, they like to answer you. People like to have a conversation, even if it's across hundreds of miles across the country i think it's just important to just be a normal person on there just be real and yeah tweet at least probably once a day otherwise people will look at the account and think that it's not active i think a lot of people make that mistake they think people will just follow their account and they won't but it it takes quite a while until you've got enough people following you to listen but i think it's really it's it's really good value for my time because like i said now i've got to this point where i can i can say something and at least someone will hear me i'm interested that you make a very effective use of hashtags as well and i know that when i talk to a lot of i teach businesses about social media a lot and hashtags is the thing that confuses them a lot so yeah. can i pick your brain on that i notice you're using hashtag and writing which yeah. i know is a really big writing one what sort of hashtags do you use to to get attention on on twitter um, I use hashtag am writing pretty much every day because that's the it's the biggest one that I know of that writers use. Whether you're actually writing or just thinking about writing or something, it's it's just what everyone uses. So if I don't have anything to tweet, I'll search the hashtag and retweet someone instead because Twitter's so so loud and there's so much noise on there. You can't look through your feed when you when you're following like eight thousand people. So you have to search something more specific. So, and I think I'm writing the hashtag I'm writing is just where everyone seems to be. There's also hashtag writer's life, which I quite like. It's when you say something, something funny about being a writer, it's usually hashtag writer's life. That's quite amusing. Mm -hmm. If you search that, that's a good one. Brilliant. Okay. Then so from your trilogy, we went to ZA and I've got to tell you, I love the artwork on uh, ZA. Uh, where, where did you get that done? Um, that, that's done by a man called Chris Kemp. He's just started his business. It's called KC Creative. No, CK Creative. Let me get that the right way around. I'll put that in the show notes. I'll look <laughs> it up and add it to the show notes. But it's beautiful yeah. artwork, isn't it? Yeah, I've, I'm amazed with it. I'm so happy with it. And he was so fast with, I'd, I'd sort of email him with an idea. And then later that day, I'd get an email. Molly, I couldn't stop thinking about this. So here it is, sort of response. It was so great to work with someone who was so excited about about the project as much as I was and just to mirror my enthusiasm it was amazing and it's it's so good it's better than anything I pictured in my head I'm so happy with it and it's very different from the artwork that you got for the initial trilogy how did you get the artwork for the first trilogy done um that was done by my boyfriend he he draws and um paints and things so I I used him 
as a as my guinea pig for that one but that was so much harder because I didn't I didn't really know what what to have a picture on for that and they're hard really, aren't they yeah it's, it's really hard especially for someone who's not artistic at all but yeah when I got to the point with ZA I knew what the covers looked like I've, I've seen hundreds now and I, I sent him a file with about eight or nine um really popular books that have really striking covers I knew it needed to stand out and then I just sort of left him to to do what he thought thought was best but I think it's 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 good now that I've I've sort of now every time I look at a cover I'm looking at it like a publisher thinking oh I might not have done it that way or that's a really good one oh it's just yeah but I think the striking ones work the best and I don't like the ones so much when they have photos on them but they do that a lot in America I'm not sure why that is well, I love the fonts. It's terrible when you get excited about fonts, isn't it? But I love the ZA <laughs> font. Yeah. And I love the way that the out now on your Twitter feed has got the the broken. It looks like it smashed yeah. the letters. Wow, that cool that is. I love that. That's yeah. very good. Uh, so it's but you see, but you've done the right thing because the graphic on Twitter is just amazing. That's yeah. very very arresting to see in a Twitter feed. But I think you've hit something that's quite important about marketing here. Was was that you know, is that what you were thinking of this time round? Yeah, it's something I hadn't I hadn't thought about yet. But when when, um, when I asked Chris about the cover, I knew I wanted a banner thing to say out now, and he he did that for me. And I needed because because I I thought the people who are traditionally published they always have some sort of poster, and it, it always looks really professional, really clean. And people who self publish don't they can't create that themselves, or they don't tend to, or if they do, it's not quite as clean. So I, I thought I definitely want something like that so that when people research me and they research my company, they know that although we're, hi- we're a hybrid publisher, we're not a traditional publisher. You can, if you don't know that from a glance, it could appear that we are. I think it's really important. It just it says something about quality to people because a lot of people are wary of things that aren't published traditionally. But I sort of want to show them that it, it's OK not to be traditionally published. You don't need to be anymore. You can you can get just as good a result without without a huge company behind you. Okay, well, so let's talk about Molten Publishing then, which is your hybrid publishing yeah. company. We've got we've gone from a trilogy to <laughs> ZA to rewriting ZA. Uh, you know, and starting at fourteen, you've you've come a very long way in a very short time. Yeah. What what's what's the game plan and how did that come about? Um. So this was when when I left my job that I wasn't enjoying, and me and my dad came together to start a publishing company and I we didn't really know where to go with it uh, and I thought about um being an indie publisher but as we're so small and we don't have we don't have a lot of spare cash around it hybrid publishing makes the most sense so hybrid hybrid publishing is basically a mixture between self-publishing and indie publishing it's, it's sort of the best of both in my opinion so how it works essentially is the author will pay multi publishing a certain amount of money to put towards the editing and the cover design and the typesetting so it can be done properly. So no one it's so it looks very professional when, when you get the book at the end. And um, so because you've put that initial investment in and you've taken on some of the risk, it's not all of the publisher's risk. We can give you a much bigger royalty settlement because we know you're as invested as we are. It's like a partnership. And I think it's amazing because 
we're just as involved in the book as the author is. We care just as much. Whereas with traditional publishing, sometimes you feel like they don't. And then sometimes in self-publishing, you just you don't get that support. You have to find your own ed- editor sometimes and your own cover designer and typesetting you'll have to do yourself. And so you don't have that support in self-publishing. And then um, so you get the support like you would in indie publishing. But as with self-publishing, you also get a lot more creative control. And I know that's really important to some people who have traditionally published because either the cover isn't anything like they imagined and they, they hate it or the blurb isn't right or just the way that it's marketed is wrong. And I think I, as an author, I know how important it is just for it to look right to you. You might not know what you want on the cover, but you know what you don't want. And there's nothing worse than seeing something that someone's put together for you and just hating it. And then the publisher saying, well, we're deciding this is what the cover is and you have to stay quiet about it. You're not allowed to sort of mention to anyone that that's not what you would have decided. So I think it really is the best of both worlds. I'm really excited about it, but it's a fairly new thing. So I'm not sure that people would have heard about it because it is relatively new. Now, this is going to test your entrepreneurial skills to the maximum, I yeah. would have thought, because uh, are you going to bring in, um, you know, freelancers to do some of these jobs? Is that is it going to be that kind of a, a business? Yeah, it will. As we as we grow, we can have the, the problem is starting so small. But then when you have when you have more authors, then you have more money to pay more editors and more typesetting and proofreading and cover designers and stuff. And then when you have them, then you can get more authors. So it's just it's just a very slow start, but in my head it's it's going to be massive because then the more authors you get, the more editors you can hire, the more editors you can hire, the more authors you can sign, and then it's just from there. That's that's how I how I picture it. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll use Molten Publishing for your own works yeah. as well, yeah. presumably. So ZA was published by Molten Publishing. It's got our logo on the spine and everything. That was really exciting. <laughs> It's a nice logo. Very nice. Yeah, I'm really happy with the logo as well. I wanted something like, like looking like sort of like a traditional publisher. So when it's on the spine, it's just this really simple image as opposed to something more complicated that you can't print properly on the spine. I wanted it to stand out so that if you've seen a couple, you'll go, oh, that's the Molten Publishing logo. So, yeah. yeah, it's nice. I really like that. I can see that on a spine of a book. Yeah. And so from, from Molten Publishing then, um, you need to get more uh, books in yeah. uh, and, and grow the business. But you're also presumably going to continue writing. It's not going to distract you from writing, is it? No, I try and, I try and write two books a year. I write one during NaNoWriMo in November, and then I'll write one sort of in the spring, depending on what's going on. And with with NaNoWriMo last year because that was when um last year that was when I was rewriting ZA so because I knew the the company was publishing that I I took the whole of November just to write which was amazing but now I have to sort of half and half my time because I have I have a lot more going on now with the company because we'd only just started last year so it's it's quite a challenge but it's it's really liberating to say well I did loads of work sort of all week in on a Friday saying today I'm going to just write it's yeah it's amazing to to not feel badly about it it's I think that's the hardest part about owning your own company 
is feeling bad for not doing something or for doing something that's not technically work. I just have to keep saying to myself, but you're an author as well. So you have to write. And that seems to that seems to be working so far. Was last November the month that you did the 315,000 words? That's um, that's the lifetime. Oh, it's the lifetime. Yeah. So it's, oh, right. It's been five. I've done five NaNoWriMo's. So you have to do 50,000 words each November. So I've my count is like I've done six, but that's just because I, I write more than that. Oh, I feel much better about that now. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I thought, how can you physically that do that? No, <laughs> I don't that's, know. So that's about 60,000. So you, you're, you're above, yeah. that's about 60,000 a time, isn't it? Oh, that's, that's right. That's humanly possible, 60,000. Yeah. <laughs> but but 300,000. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to put you in a museum for that. <laughs> no, that's, no, I, as, uh, I don't think I could. I couldn't write that much in such a short space of time. <laughs> NaNoWriMo is amazing, isn't it? I did it, um, I, I, I did it for the first time last year. I just set it as a, as, as a target. And uh, it actually really does help you get butted chair and get the writing yeah. done, doesn't it? And you've obviously built up your kind of writing stamina um, yeah. for doing it over five years. Yeah, it, it, it helps so much. It's just, it's, it's so good to just start on November the 1st and know by November the 30th that you will have finished or not finished or at least got 50,000 words in to this book that you desperately want to write whether or not I've I've done it in different ways one of them I just I had no idea where this book was going it's just it was just there in my head and I needed to get it out so that that helped with that and then other times I've thought about it for months in advance and tried to plan it and things but it's 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 so helpful without NaNoWriMo I wouldn't have written half the books that I've written because I I I need that time I need someone to tell me in November you're going to write a book and then the other book that I write in the spring that's up to me and that's always much harder to write when there's not another like 300,000 other people doing the same issue it's so helpful to go on go on Twitter and even go on novellas and see everyone say oh no I haven't done my words or yesterday I did this many words it's it's just it's a great time to be a writer because you realize how many other people are in the same boat as you and how whatever you're feeling or whatever problems you're having you're not alone everyone's having them it's just it's it's an amazing time to be an author I wouldn't I can't imagine not doing it do you do the challenges through the year they do mini challenges and things through the year Do, do you ever take part in those or is November the big one for you um, I did it one year, um, two years ago, I think. I did one of their Camp NaNoWriMo's where you set up your own word goal for the month. But I didn't enjoy it very much because there's, there's a lot less buzz about it. Not everyone knows what it is. And not everyone's talking about it. But when you get to November, because of all the people that I follow on Twitter and all the people that I follow on novellas, they all do it majoritively, or at least they know what it is. So I think it's it's sort of a big team effort, even though you're just writing. It's just your own writing. It feels like a like a big team effort. And I didn't feel that with the smaller ones. So I only did it that one year. But yeah, November is the big one. I can't tell you how relieved I am to find out that that word count is a total <laughs> word count over five yeah. years. I just, I couldn't believe that when I read that. So that's, that, that's very interesting. Um, something I do want to explore is because a, a lot of um, authors aspire to this. You have had a radio interview on Felix 98 FM with Sylvia Kent on her book club show. Yeah. And I know a lot of authors think, oh, I'd like to go on the radio. Um, what was that like? Could you just tell people who've maybe never been on the radio before what that experience was like for you? 
um, it was it was amazing. I didn't I didn't really know what to expect. Phoenix is it's quite a small community radio, but um, it was it's quite daunting walking into a room and seeing these big microphone things that you've only seen in pictures. You haven't seen them in real life, but um, it was it was really nice to do it actually because um, Sylvia was there who I met um, a couple of weeks before. She's she sort of she knows everyone in Essex, it seems, who writes. And then Michelle is the one who works at um, Phoenix FM. And she talked to me before and she sort of said, it's fine. Just if you're nervous, just talk to me. So I didn't I didn't have the headphones on because I didn't want to hear my own voice back. But it was it was it was easy. It didn't feel like I was on the radio because I was just talking, talking to her. But I haven't had the courage to listen to it back because I know that when you hear it back, your voice doesn't sound the same as it does in your own head. So I haven't actually listened to it back. But everyone who has listened to it said that I came across really well, which was good because I was really nervous. Well, I did listen to it and uh, I thought you came <laughs> over really well. I, I, well, the, the, the reason you see, because when, when you're doing podcasts, you need to know that you've got an author who's going to talk to you. Yeah. So um, I actually think it, it it's done a really good service for you because it allows people to, you know, to check you out online beforehand and you came over great on it, which is, uh, you know, why I was very happy to call you and, and get you on yeah. the podcast. So I think if you can get through that fear barrier and, and jump over the hurdle, yeah. uh, it, it, you know, it, it pays dividends because you are very findable online. Yeah. And, and I think that's so important when I'm researching people for the podcast, if you haven't got an online presence, I generally will steer clear Yeah, because, what's there to say really so i mean i would you know commend you on what you've done online um and you have a very strong presence has that been part of your strategy or is it just that you're younger and you're you're sort of quite happy with all of these outlets um at first it, it was just because everyone was everyone was on facebook everyone was on twitter oh i should probably get on twitter before someone else has, with the same name as me which there there are a few molly lubies on twitter but there's in in reality there's not many of us so i was lucky with um getting my I like on Twitter it's just at Molly Luby you don't need any any numbers or any other characters in there which was really good but now probably around last year I I started noticing when I sort of started the business I started noticing things I hadn't noticed before so different authors they they put themselves across in a different way so there'll be ones that are really dry and really funny and they just they don't they don't care about what people think of them they just they are who they are and they're, they're quite happy to, to say it that way and then you have other other ones who are always thanking their fans and always promoting their fans and things and saying how amazing their fans are and this is some fan art someone's done for me this is a fan fiction someone's written about my story and stuff like that and I was sort of looking looking at that and realizing how how different two people who have the same job can be and I thought I've got to I've got to make myself a brand so I um my tagline on Twitter is what is it YA author adverb player ZO ready and I did that across all my social media platforms just to be to be consistent this is my brand this is who I am yeah I think I think that is important but it like I said it's it's nothing I would have thought of I don't think apart from because I started the business it's just opened this whole other side to being an author I didn't I didn't really think about which it's it's good that I've got that sort of understanding now because when authors come to me and come to Moulton Publishing, I can I can talk them through it. What's your what's your author brand? And it will be okay if people don't know what that is because I'll explain what it is. 
is that yeah I would never have thought of my author brand before but it is important I love the ZA ready I think it works really well uh made me laugh when I was you know checking you out online but I think it's an important point that if people do hear of you and you like me I my surname's T yours is Luby there aren't many of us around and it it helps doesn't it but if you're Fred Smith yeah you've got a problem with branding yeah I don't know I don't know what it's like for people who who have more regular surnames but it's 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 really important to be able to people can find you if someone hears my name and they remember it and they google it i will come up before anyone else because there's there's so much of me online i think it's it's really important you have to you have to be easy to find otherwise people will they, they'll lose interest if they google you and they can't find you they won't they won't go any further they won't care that much yeah that's that's absolutely it i think i, I want to talk to you more about being an entrepreneur because um there's this element of you've got to bootstrap the business in that you have to live in the meantime yet you're yeah. trying to take you're putting you know all your your efforts into getting this business and your writing going and it's like pushing a boulder it's not going to start moving straight away it's yeah. going to be the big push how much pressure does that that put you on under on, on a day-to-day basis it, it's quite a lot I didn't like I thought it, I knew it was going to be difficult but I thought and then when I started the business and I was sort of I was full of adrenaline, like, this is amazing, I can't believe I'm doing this, and I thought, this isn't difficult, but it's, it's after a couple of months when that goes away, and you realise, I have to, have to make money somehow, I have to, I have to get people to come to me and pay me, and then um, that was, that was really scary, around um, Christmas time, January, I thought, oh my god, what have I done, I don't, I don't know why, why I've done this, and then again, I've, since then, I've come out the other side, thinking I I can actually do this it's just it's so slow to start with especially in publishing because once you you have an idea for a book and then you can work with an author and have various different drafts and then you have to do the cover and the the typesetting and you have to print it and by the time the book actually comes out it's been such a long time before you see any any money because obviously you have to work on you have to perfect the book first which is another reason why hybrid publishing was was the choice for me because we're so small we need we need investment before the book comes out because it can take six months a year depending on how much work the book needs I just think it makes a lot more sense because when when authors come to Moulton Publishing I, I know I will give hundreds of hours of editing that will cost a fortune if you do it a different way because I like to totally involve myself with a project and and know the author as well as as well as possible to just because you want what we want our um, our tagline is making your worst nightmares a reality or something something like that because you want you want the author at the end when they hold the book in their hands to say this is exactly what I wanted it to be this is this is my dream here in my hand and I think that that, that is what I want I want to work on it's it's the most amazing thing in the world I want to share it with everyone I want everyone to hold their book in their hand and go this is my dream it it's happened today and I think that's that's a really nice thing to work towards and um it gets me really excited every time I think about it and I've uh, I've noticed that when I when I talk about this ultimate dream of giving other people their dreams people stop and they listen to me and I think wow maybe I'm onto something here then <laughs> mm, I think so yeah I think so uh, so many people want to write a book don't they and so many yeah. people don't um it's, it's sad really but how many people don't do it I think yeah you, 
you must have seen um, your friends graduating. Is that right? Have you seen them move through yeah. university now? Yeah, I have now. Yeah. So how how are you feeling with that? It's it's a li- there's a tiny bit of sadness in me because I've I've always been academically very intelligent. Just as in, I wouldn't say just normal intelligence. Just you know, I know how to pass an exam, write an essay, do some coursework. I I've always been really good at that. And to see people from my classes, from my English A level classes, they're in their like graduation robes and stuff with their parents that are so proud of them for getting whatever whatever grade they got. And a lot of people, a lot of people who I didn't think would go to university have now have their degree. And then there's me, who everyone thought I would go, and I don't. I don't have I don't have that so it's a, it is a bit of a weird feeling especially when some of these people come out of uni and they don't know what else to talk about and they don't it, it's almost like we're in two different parts of life even though we're at the same age because at one at one stage they they've done this amazing thing but I've been doing this other amazing thing and now they're looking for a job and I've, I've made my own job in those three years I've had different jobs I worked out what I wanted and I, I made my own job because I, I had this, this thing that I needed to do. And sometimes you, you just don't know how to talk to these people, especially if it's been three years they've been at uni and you haven't spoken since. It's very, very strange. It's it's a very very interesting experience and story. What what are your next priorities then in the business? What's coming next for you? Um, just growing the business as much as possible. More authors. So that we can, and then so the more authors, then they can tell their friends, and then the more people who know about Molten, I want I want it to be a brand that people really love and they really trust. I don't I want that more more than I want it to be big. I'd much rather it be loved by everyone who comes across it. That's that's sort of what I want. I want to gain that sort of respect for the brand before before being big. That's not necessarily important to me. I just want people to really believe and trust in us. I said that you're all over the place online. What are the best places for people to find out about you in terms of making a first contact? Um, I probably, my Twitter. I'm on, on Twitter every day for most of the day, just in the background. So that's at Molly Luby. And then we have Molten Publishing has a Twitter that's at Molten Publish. I'm on both of those every day. And then I'm also on Facebook and my website is www.mollyluby.com. Well, Molly, I wish you every success in what you're doing. It's a courageous decision, but I think it's absolutely (laughs) the right one. It's, you know, it's fabulous. It's entrepreneurial. It books the trends. It's fabulous. So I wish you every success with it. I really, you know, look forward to seeing you grow and have great success in this. And thanks ever so much for speaking to us on the program today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's Self-Publishing Journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.